The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning. Welcome to Mentoring with Larry Sternberg. My guest this morning is Dr. Lindsay Hastings who serves as the Clifton Professor in Mentoring Research and the Director of the Nebraska Human Resources Institute, which we will refer to as NHRI. That's a leadership development organization at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln that pairs outstanding college student leaders with outstanding K-12 through student leaders in one-on-one mentoring relationship. Her research interests include generative leadership and social responsibility, examining what factors influence a leader's ability to promote and establish the well-being of future generations. Her most recent research examined generativity in college student leaders as a result of engaging in a mentoring relationship, for which she received an award in 2012 for her research. Dr. Hastings, welcome to the program. I'm so pleased to be here, Larry. So tell us about your most recent research. What were your findings? Sure. So most recently, we examined generativity levels among college student leaders who mentored. Now, generativity sounds like a made-up word, uh, but it refers to the care and concern one has for establishing and guiding the next generation. So we look to see, among college student leaders who mentor, we, what, what are their generativity levels in comparison to their peers? So we looked at how generative they are in comparison to college student leaders who were not actively mentoring, and we also compared them against general college students. And what we discovered from our data uh, was that, indeed, college student leaders who mentor are significantly more generative. Now, that's, that's not entirely shocking. I mean, these students spend three years in NHRI mentoring a young leader, so we would expect them to have higher concern for establishing and guiding the next generation. But what's more interesting about that finding, Larry, is that generativity is the highest predictor of social responsibility. So what we know is that these college student leaders who mentor, they are more likely than their peers to spend time and money building a strong family, a strong workplace, and a strong community. And that is a big deal. Uh, It certainly is. How long have you been in charge of NHRI? Sure. This is my 10th year working for the organization. I started out as the associate director in 2006 and uh, then became the interim director in 2008 and uh, have been the director ever since. And how, how long has the Nebraska Human Resources Institute been in business, so to speak? Yeah, 67 years. It was started in 1949 by Dr. William Hall and Dr. Donald Clifton, and these two gentlemen were considered fathers of positive psychology. Uh, Both of them were very interested in studying success, and this was a time when the field of psychology was traditionally interested in identifying people who are mentally ill and then figuring out what's wrong, you know, diagnosing psychoses, neuroses, those sorts of things. So when Dr. Hall came here to the University of Nebraska, Don Clifton was his grad student, and the two of them began to identify students in their classes who were very successful at influencing other people. They called it high human relations capital. And in their research of these students, they recognized that all of them talked about difference makers in their life. Each of these students recognized someone who had profoundly influenced them. And what was interesting, Larry, was that then these students turned around and said, now I want to have that influence on someone else. And Dr. Hall and Dr. Clifton were inspired by this and thought, you know, what would happen if we deliberately gave these students who have high human relations capital a deliberate opportunity to be a difference maker? And that's what gave birth to Nebraska Human Resources Institute, and we're doing the same thing today. And how many, since 1949, approximately how many student mentors have gone through the program? That's a great question. Um, around 6,000, I believe, was our last, um, our, our last approximate guess, uh, but literally thousands. 
And in your 10 years, about how many have there been? That's a good question. We've grown a lot in the last 10 years. In fact, we've grown 80%. So now, at any given point in time, we work with 180 college student leaders and 180 K-12 student leaders. Uh, so at any point in time, we're, we're touching uh, 360 approximate uh, student leaders for all the way from kindergarten through uh, 12th grade. So we've been able to kindergarten, excuse me, through senior year in college. So uh, we've really been able to expand the reach uh, of our leadership mentoring program. That's really impressive. Let me ask you, do you think there's a difference between a mentoring relationship and, say, a teaching relationship or a coaching-type relationship or even a supervisory relationship? Absolutely. Uh, There are key differences between mentoring relationships versus coaching relationships. Uh, Typically, in a coaching relationship, uh, it's it's very unidirectional, um, as in the the coach is the one providing the the direction and guidance to the coachee, whereas in a mentoring relationship, you see much more of a reciprocal influence. Um, Additionally, typically when you're seeing a coaching relationship, uh, you're typically seeing a, a specific plan for behavior modification, whereas in a mentoring relationship, the, the breadth of influence in a mentoring relationship is much larger. In a mentoring relationship, you're not only seeing personal development, but you're also seeing leadership development, especially when you're having a mentoring relationship for the purpose of leadership development. How would you define uh, leadership? Great question. That is such a great question. So, Larry, here's what's crazy about the field of leadership, and I learned this on the first day of graduate school, that the field of leadership does not have a definition of leadership that is all-encompassing or all scholars agree upon. And I remember thinking, you're telling me we're going to study this and we don't have a definition? I was uh, very perplexed. But uh, the common denominator among all definitions of leadership is the notion of influence, that leaders in some way, shape, or form profoundly influence the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors of others. So that really challenged my personal definition of leadership and that, okay, if at the end of the day leadership is about influence, then to me the relationship between leader and follower, uh, leader subordinate, supervisor subordinate, that relationship becomes of paramount importance. Because that, to me, provides the greatest opportunity for influence. How do people move, if, if a person is a supervisor or a manager or a leader in any kind of context, how does that person move from leadership to mentoring? Great question. Here's what I can tell you. From, from our work in Nebraska Human Resources Institute, a lot of it has to start with friendship and trust, which sounds a little awkward when we're talking about supervisor and subordinate relationship, right? Uh, but boy, what we've learned in Nebraska Human Resources Institute is that trust is the foundation of any relationship. And so our mentors spend a significant period of time just getting to know their mentee. I mean, they spend almost a year just getting to know them as a person, recognizing their hot buttons, their hobbies, their interests making an investment in their personal lives, so attending their soccer games or visiting when their grandparents are in town, but really investing in their mentee as a person. So I would say how do we go from from being a leader to a mentor is a profound recognition of trust, the importance of trust, and paying due time and effort toward building that trust. And that means getting to know uh, your, your subordinates or those on your team as a person um, and, and spending time deliberately on that focus. Would you talk about what you see as the most important characteristics and behaviors for someone to be a great mentor? That is a great question. And a lot of what I'll share here stems from the original research of Dr. Hall and Dr. Clifton as they were identifying these students who had that high human relations capital, they built an instrument around the themes they felt they saw over and over and over again. Some key themes they identified even in the very early 1950s, they identified things like listening, high empathy, a willingness to invest, 
high rapport drive. So how well can you relate to someone else and, and build a relationship? Um, an excuse, appreciation for diversity. Uh, so I would identify those as being key characteristics. Relative to your question about behavior, what I see among our top performers within NHRI relative to behavior, I would share that consistency is a behavior that tends to generate success and that when a mentor has an unwavering commitment to meet with their mentee every week, sort of come hell or high water, I find that their mentoring relationship is ultimately successful. Additionally, other behaviors that I see, and, and this relates to, in fact, we call our mentoring relationships investment relationships, and there are two jobs of the investor which relate to behavior. The first job of the mentee or the investor is to identify talents within the mentee, and then the second part of their job is to create what we call stimulus situations, so creating deliberate growth opportunities. So, for example, if I recognize in my mentee that she relates well to others, uh, as a stimulus situation, I might say, okay, this week in school, I want you to call five people by name, and with five others, just say hello, and let's see the difference you get in response when you call someone by name. The idea being is that if I force her to deliberately use that sort of relation, relator-type talent, then she'll likely come back to me and say, yeah, it made a difference when I called people by name. They called me by name, and then we talked in the hallway. The idea being is that she starts to recognize that when she goes out of her way to relate to others by calling them by name, in that second, she's sharing with them, I care about you enough to call you by name. So consistency, being deliberate about identifying talents and then creating stimulus situations for those talents are the three behaviors I see of great mentors. I'm hearing, I don't know whether this is a behavior or a characteristic, but when you talked about consistency, what I was getting in addition to consistency was commitment. Yeah. I'm going to meet with you every week that, that they really follow through consistently, but there's a commitment there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you bring up a good point. Uh, that's probably a blend of both a characteristic as well as a behavior, or the behavior is a manifestation of that characteristic. Absolutely. You've mentioned the ability to identify talent. How would you define talent? Oh, my gosh. How would I define talent? That's a great question, Larry. I would say when you're seeing a pattern of behavior that can be productively applied, that's typically when I'm seeing a talent. Um, I think a talent is a more raw version of a, of a strength in that I think talents can be developed to where that pattern of behavior becomes very consistent um, and, and offered at maximum capacity. Uh, however, when I'm thinking about talent in its raw form, it's, it's when I'm seeing a pattern of behavior that can be positively and productively applied. Terrific. Thanks. Thanks for that definition. Absolutely. How do, how do parents identify talents in their children? What a great question, Larry, because I just had a graduate student here about a year ago do a qualitative study examining how youth leaders define and experience influence. Because, you know, we, we know a lot about how adult leaders influence and that we know we're seeing an adult leader be influential when their subordinates are more engaged, more productive, their subordinates have higher organizational citizenship behaviors. So we, we know a lot um, about when an adult leader is influential, but we know less about when a, a youth leader is being influential. The rules are different. I can't go into a sixth-grade classroom and say, hey, show me your profit and loss statements, right? It's different. <laughs> it's different. Um, so as part of her study, she tried to really tease out for us or, or provide some early themes for us in, in recognizing how youth leaders influence. And what was so interesting from that finding, or from that study, Larry, was the finding that familial influence is huge, that as youth leaders think back on people, difference makers who challenged their way of thinking about positive influence, many of them cited the influence of family. Um, so I think for parents, 
to pay special recognition to identifying talents and to role model positive influence, that, that really does uh, make a difference in terms of how youth leaders uh, develop their own capacity for influence. But relative to your question, Larry, about how can parents go about identifying talents in students, you know, the, the hard thing about being a parent is that you see the good and the bad and the ugly, right? Uh, you see all, all spectrums of behavior in your own kids. Uh, however, I, I think it comes down to you're always going to find what you're looking for, Larry, and I share this with my students that anytime you're working with people, if you look for things you like in other people, guess what? You're going to find them because they're there. And if you go looking for things you don't like in other people, guess what? You're going to find them because they're there. Because each of us has a page-long list of things we like about ourselves and don't like about ourselves, and that's just true for everybody. So I think for parents, it, it, it's just going to come down to a shift in paradigm. Your kids, each kid has talent running out their ears. It's just a matter of having adults who are with them consistently who go looking for it, who go looking for that talent. Um, and, and I think when that shift in paradigm is in place, I think parents will find, wow, oh my gosh, just in a matter of an hour, I can identify three things my kid did well in that one interaction. So I think it just comes down to a shift in paradigm. We're going to take a brief break here. And when we come back, I want to continue talking about this this notion of identifying talents and a shift in paradigm. So let's take a brief break and we'll be back with Dr. Lindsay Hastings. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. When people are making a significant impact, they're engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. But how do you recognize those people? At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at www.talentplus.com. Talent Plus, where science meets talent, where people drive results. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com We're back with Dr. Lindsay Hastings. We're discussing her findings on mentoring and her observation of literally thousands of student mentors and mentees over the years. We were talking about how parents identify talent. And one thing that comes up for me that's interesting is I think sometimes two people can observe the same pattern of thoughts, feelings, and behavior in another person, whether it's a child or whether it's an adult. And one person sees, wow, that's evidence of a great talent and here's how it could be used. And another person is just annoyed by it for some reason or, or doesn't see the context in which that behavior could express itself in a, in a positive way. So I'd like, you to, I'd like you to comment on that. Absolutely. You know, as parents, we're always going to, at some point in time, experience a moment where our kids really annoy us. <laughs> I mean, that just happens. That's part of the territory. Um, however, as I think about, okay, how, how, can, how can we as parents be able to take those moments where we were really annoyed and get to a place where we see talent is, is through a commitment to reflection, and this is honestly something that I learned from one of my biggest mentors, is that a big part of leadership is a willingness to be vulnerable in reflection. And as I think about it, parents who might get annoyed 
by what their kid's behavior. I think if there's a willingness to reflect back and say, why did that annoy me? What was really going on there? Um, and, oh, my gosh, how could, how could that maybe demonstrate talent? I think we as parents might be able to recognize talent uh, more freely and, and be okay with ourselves even saying, oh, I, I didn't react the way I wanted to because I was annoyed. Can you think of a specific instance, whether it was you or somebody you know, where somebody was demonstrating a behavior and one person saw it as evidence of a talent and another person saw it as uh, some behavior that ought to be corrected in some way? Oh, absolutely. Even in our own household. My oldest daughter, Lily, she is our strong-willed, independent child. And I can't sit here and say, gee, I don't know where she gets this, because I think my parents would say, gee, Lens, you were a little bit strong-willed and independent. But sometimes what can happen is that she will stand up for what she wants to do, and it feels like misbehavior or an unwillingness to listen to me. And so we'll, we'll end up getting into it. And my husband, who has the patience of a saint, he has such a gentle soul, he does such a good job of helping me reflect back later in saying, you know, I don't think she was just trying to misbehave and just not listen to you. I don't think that was her objective. I think she really cared about this, or she just was really intent um, on doing this, and she was just willing to defend herself. So sometimes, you know, I love uh, Lawrence Cooley, who was a sociologist at Columbia. He called it the looking glass principle, and he indicated that it takes two people to see one person, um, just recognizing that our self-concept is largely influenced by the messages we receive from others. And sometimes each, each of us needs multiple perspectives um, in seeing that. And that, you know what, my, my daughter, who has this wonderful uh, talent for being strong-willed and independent, that will serve her well. But she's also got to learn to listen, to write her teachers and coaches uh, will expect and demand of her that she listen. So I think it's useful that both my husband and I see that talent sometimes from different perspectives, uh, that he helps me see her intent. Uh, but then also, it's also okay sometimes to say, hey, when an adult says this is what needs to happen, sometimes you got to listen and do what, what's asked of you. So I think there's value in multiple perspectives seeing the same talent. And I'm curious, uh, how's it going? Is she getting better at listening? <laughs> It depends on the day. It depends on the day. I tell you, though, it's been so much fun to watch her spirit grow because, uh, boy, I tell you, she's a go-getter. She brings home a reading log every day from school, and she wants to write down all the books that are in sight. She wants to read them all and put them on there. So it's been fun to watch that strong-willed and independence, uh, that spirit, uh, turn into excitement around learning and achievement. Terrific. I want to ref- reflect back on your your mention of the importance of reflection, and it seems to me this is this is the case in management and leadership as much as it might be in parenting. Is there a, some set of guidelines or advice you can give someone about how to reflect in a productive way? That's a great question. I think the first piece of advice is there, there's no one right way to reflect. I'll start there. Secondly, I think vulnerability is critical in reflection. I think we as leaders and parents have to be willing to be vulnerable in that reflection, to be okay with ourselves and saying, I didn't handle that perfectly or that didn't go exactly right. Why is that? Thirdly, Again, it's asking that question, why? Trying to get to the bottom of, okay, here's what happened. Why did it go that way? Or why did I react in the way that I did? Um, what, is, what does that re- reaction say about my own strengths and talents or my own set of values? So I think having a willingness to be vulnerable um, is, is just critical, a willingness uh, to ask why, and that thirdly, there's no one right way to reflect. The, the biggest key is to just be willing to do it consistently and not just, oh, when I've got the time over a glass of wine and I'm in a remote place, uh, but that reflection is happening consistently in the car, at night, in the morning, even throughout the day, 
that reflection is a consistent uh, part of the daily routine. It sounds like, therefore, reflection must be intentional. You must intend to reflect Absolutely. whether or not you're, you're in a remote place with a glass of wine. It's conscious. You know that you're reflecting. Mm-hmm. Also, Absolutely. it seems to me that when I'm listening to you about vulnerability, there seems to be, and correct me if, if, I'm, if I'm not stating this properly, but it seems that vulnerability involves the letting go of having to be right. Which is so hard, especially in leadership. People are expecting you to be right, or we have the perception that others expect us to be right. Uh, so to let go of that, especially in a position of leadership, is extremely difficult. I think one of the hardest things. Do you ask your student mentors to reflect not only in the way that you have already explained, but do you ask them from time to time to reflect about how they're growing? In fact, every week, Larry, uh, part of what we do is our students are grouped into what are called projects, which is a fancy word for small groups based on the age or the school of their mentee. So, for example, all of the college student leaders who are working with first through third grade student leaders are in what's called Child's Project. And every week, all the college students in Child's Project get together, and the crux of their meeting is what's called one-on-ones, and that's where each person goes around and they orally reflect on the growth and development of their relationship with their mentee. And, you know, it, I, I love the adage as iron sharpens iron, man sharpens man. I specifically ask them to reflect together openly and orally so that they can sharpen each other. So if they're experiencing trouble, or especially when they identify talent, Larry, for them to make sense of it, to say, okay, I think, uh, I, I think my junior counselor, which is what we call our mentees, I think my mentee has uh, high empathy, but I'm not really sure how to create a stimulus situation for that. How, how do I challenge the growth? And they help each other. Uh, so I, I think the, the value in their weekly reflection is being able to do it together, to have empathy for each other and to challenge each other uh, to go above and beyond what they did this previous week. Have you had the experience as a mentor of perceiving a talent that your mentee has but your mentee doesn't know it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you're bringing this up, Larry, because it has reminded me the importance of not only recognizing talent, but reflecting back that talent. So identifying talent isn't enough. If I identify a talent in somebody, it is incumbent upon me to reflect that talent back to that person. Um, So absolutely. And and I'm, I'm even thinking... Even as a, as a parent, I have to be deliberate about reflecting back, wow, you did such a great job here. I was so impressed by, uh, or you, wow, you really challenged my thinking when you did this. Well, I was so, I, I marveled at your ability to do this. So identifying talents is purely the first step. Can you think of a time when, in the moment when this happened, when you saw something and the, the other person hadn't quite seen it yet? Oh, my gosh, uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, a, a student in particular who was a pre-med major. And this guy was doing an incredible job in NHRI. I mean, his whole world lit up uh, when he would talk about his experience with his junior counselor, uh, when he talked about his leadership positions within NHRI. I mean, he just lit up. And he was planning on becoming a physical therapist. And I said, as we were sitting there, I said, are you sure that's what you want to do? I said, I just don't see you in a clinic uh, treating patients. I, I, don't, I don't see that. I said, I, I see you working with people much more intensely rather than this six-week recovery period. I see you working with people over the long term. And and Larry, it was like his shoulders finally relaxed over a period of years. You know, I mean, he just was like, oh, my gosh, yes, that's exactly it. I, I, 
And what was interesting, Larry, was the way that he described it. When he was saying, like, I felt like this wasn't quite right, but I didn't know why. So it was fun for me to be able to articulate and reflect back to him things that he's always known about himself, but for me to provide clarity around those things that, that he knew about himself but he just couldn't quite, quite see, that was a very powerful moment for me. Pretty exciting, eh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I always feel like I'm doing my job when a student walks out of my office feeling like a million dollars because we have such a great opportunity in every interaction to reflect back something positive. What's he doing today? So today he is applying to graduate school in leadership education. So I couldn't be any more thrilled for him. Excellent. I know that, that that's happened to me uh, on several occasions where I've, I've just seen a potential in somebody that they might not have seen themselves and calling that out. It, in a sense, gives it life, don't you mm-hmm. think? Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. That is exactly it. I wanted to I want to switch over and start reflecting on some of the people who have been your mentors in your life. You talked about somebody who taught you about the importance of reflection, and you, you used the term mentor. Who was that person? So I'm going to give a cliché answer about who my mentors are, but for hopefully very non-cliché reasons. So my parents, I would share that my parents are two of my greatest mentors, which I know sounds cliché, but I hope the reasons are not so cliché. So my dad has had a lot of sexy-sounding leadership positions in his career, okay? He's been the Secretary of Ag for the state of Nebraska. He was the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Executive Director of the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, and now he's the founding Executive Director of the Rural Futures Institute. Now, so he's had a lot of these really cool leadership positions, right? And all of those have been well-earned. And my dad has mentored the leadership position for me in, in three really important ways. First, he, he really mentored the leadership position for me by helping me recognize the importance of identifying and investing in talent. My dad has always been very deliberate with every team to sit down individually with each person and ask a lot of questions to get them opening up about things they feel they're good at. And, and my dad has always been very deliberate about helping each team member find a way for them to do what they do best most of the time. Secondly, my dad has really mentored the leadership position for me around formulating and executing bold vision that he has shown me to never fear chasing big goals and that there's real importance in generating excitement uh, from a team and building something meaningful. And thirdly, and this goes back to what I talked about earlier, he mentored the leadership position for me uh, by being inspired every day. I, I joke, I joke with my dad that his nightly Facebook posts are like Dear Diary. I mean, I joke with him. Uh, but I say it in jest because I love reading every night how he was inspired by something. My dad always takes the time to reflect and be inspired. Um, he is always willing to reflect on how somebody how somebody's perspective challenged him positively or how he was inspired by what someone said or what someone's doing. And he takes the time to reflect on that and and is deliberate about growing himself personally. So in a lot of ways, my dad has mentored the leadership position. Okay, so I share that both my parents are my mentors because my mom has mentored me in a very different way. Yeah, and before we move on to your mom and other mentors, it's time for another break. So we'll be back with Dr. Lindsay Hastings talking about mentors who have made a difference in her life. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When people are making a significant impact, they're engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. But how do you recognize those people? At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit within an organization's mission, vision, and values. 
Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at www.talentplus.com. Talent Plus, where science meets talent, where people drive results. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. We're back with Dr. Lindsay Hastings, and she has talked to us about her findings and insights as a result of studying, mentoring, and leading the Nebraska Human Resources Institute. And she has talked to us about her father as a mentor and what she learned from him. And we're going to continue this line of discussion about other mentors Dr. Hastings has had in her life. So who's the next person you want to talk about? Yeah, so my mom is also one of my biggest mentors. And again, I know it sounds cliche to say, oh, my parents are mentors, but hopefully, again, these are for very non-cliche reasons. So here my dad has had all these sexy-sounding leadership positions, and he really has mentored the leadership position for me. My mom has been a 40-year special education teacher. She just retired this past year. And for me, she mentored the leadership balance. Now that I have two kids, I asked my mom, I said, how were you there for everything? She never missed a volleyball game or a horse show. She never missed a thing. I said, how did you do that? I don't know how you did that. And her response was so interesting, Larry. She said, Lindsay, I never won Teacher of the Year. I said, what? What do you mean? She said, Lindsay, I showed up every day at 7 o'clock. And she said, I, I was the first to leave at 4 o'clock. She said, I just, I, I didn't coach. I didn't stay late. I didn't do a lot of those things. She said, I never won Teacher of the Year. But what was so interesting, Larry, was to hear her colleagues talk about her. Uh, my, my favorite quote from one of her colleagues was, Lindsay, if someone told your mom to teach nuclear physics to kids with learning disabilities, she would do it. She's just that committed. So it made me realize, Larry, that, okay, maybe my mom never won Teacher of the Year, but between the hours of 7.30 and 4 o'clock, she was 100% invested in the growth and development of her students. But come 4 o'clock, she was 100% dedicated to investing in family. And she's really mentored for me the leadership balance in that I think sometimes we do a disservice to emerging leaders by telling them that leadership position demands that they be the first one in and the last one out, that family must in part be sacrificed. Uh, My mom has taught me that perhaps there should be a new leadership culture uh, that celebrates balance and that the 60-hour work week is not necessarily desirable, uh, that we can still be absolutely invested in doing the best job that we can do as leaders, uh, but that we shouldn't necessarily always celebrate the leader who's in first and out last and sacrifices their family. So for what that's worth, those are uh, my two biggest mentors, and hopefully for non-cliche reasons. Well, that that brings up uh, the question about what you value as a leader and mentor and what your commitments are and what you're willing to give up in order to attain what you want to attain. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like your mom was very, very conscious about giving up possibly being teacher of the year or other accolades that she might have gotten in the school system so that she would have the time she wanted to invest in in your family. I think that's important for everyone to consider. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's wrong to be the 60, 70 hour a week executive if as long as you're being conscious about it and not complaining that you don't get any time to see your family. Right, right, exactly. Well, and I think, too, um, as leaders and mentors, I, I share this with my board all the time that uh, – um, if I'm not being a mentor at home, 
then I have no business training mentors here. Uh, you know, that I, that I have to be deliberate about demonstrating those kinds of behaviors in all facets of my life. What other mentors would you like to talk about? Oh, great question. You know, I had a physics teacher and a calculus teacher, actually, in high school who mentored for me the importance of trying even when you're not sure you're going to be successful. Um, I took AP Calculus and uh, AP Physics as a senior in high school, and I was afraid uh, that I, I wouldn't be successful. I had liked math and physics, but I just wasn't sure. And the two of them, in very similar ways, helped me to get over fear surrounding chasing new opportunities or, or fear around, well, what if I'm not successful, getting beyond that and challenging me to try, try harder even when uh, success is not clear. Uh, so I would say those are two, two other mentors in my life that I, I love sharing about. How did you do in physics? How did I do in physics? You know, I ended up getting a four on the AP test, and I, uh, and I joked with my physics professor. I went down to Texas A&M University as an engineering major my freshman year, and I aced my freshman physics exam. So I owe it all to Mr. Cunningham. <laughs> Maybe they saw something in you. <laughs> well, that was awfully generous. <laughs> Why did you... Did, did you switch from being an engineering major, or did you get a degree in engineering? Great question. So I started out in mechanical engineering, and I ended up transferring from Texas A&M to the University of Nebraska because I got a student internship with Husker Power, which is the strengths department for the Husker uh, athletic program. And I thought I wanted to design fitness equipment for female athletes. So I transferred up to Nebraska and became a student participant in Nebraska Human Resources Institute. And I can honestly say that my NHRI experience uh, completely changed my trajectory and that through the NHRI experience, I realized I wanted to work with students. So I changed my major to math and got my teaching certificate as a result. Wow. Okay. And when you joined NHRI, did you have someone who was mentoring you in that position? I was serving as the mentor, although I will tell you that my mentee uh, taught me just as much as I taught her. Uh, there was absolutely reciprocal influence. What other mentors have you had in the course of your career? Great question. Oh, my goodness. Even the, the two people uh, next to me down, down here on East Campus, uh, my other two leadership faculty members, uh, L.J. McElravey and Gina Matkin, uh, I love having them as colleagues because they are so willing to help me engage reflectively every day. Uh, in fact, that's that's part of the fun. Uh, we know each other not just as colleagues but friends, and so uh, we help each other uh, reflect on what went right, what didn't go well. Uh, we we offer a very forgiving space to each other to be vulnerable in those reflections. Uh, so they have really mentored me on what great collegial relationships look like. How have you grown over the years as a mentor yourself? Great question. Great question, Larry. I have grown as a mentor in my ability to ask questions. The older I get, the more I realize that other people have the answers to their own problems. It's just a matter of asking the right questions. So as I get older, I'm learning more about the power of asking questions and then just doing a ton of listening. Uh, so as I get older, I'm trying to listen more and talk less. Great answer. I want to switch to the topic of how someone can become a better mentee. Great question. Again, as I shared previously about uh, great mentor behaviors, in a mentee, a commitment, which then manifests itself in consistency, is critical. 
I, I find that in Nebraska Human Resources Institute, when both mentor and mentee have that unwavering commitment to consistency, they are 99% more likely to be successful. It just really makes a huge difference. Um, additionally, I would say what's necessary to be a great mentee is also that willingness to be vulnerable in reflection, a willingness to examine yourself uh, in, in all aspects, um, being willing to receive feedback. Uh, sometimes I think it's hard for us to hear other people compliment us. Sometimes that's hard to receive. We feel like we don't deserve it. Uh, so I think in order to be a great mentee, we have to be willing to be vulnerable, but almost in a different way, vulnerable in receiving positive feedback and allowing our self-concept to develop as a result of that so that what we hear, what the positive feedback we receive from others we believe ourselves, I think is critical. You focus a lot on positive feedback. What about critique? What about constructive criticism? How important is that coming from a mentor? Mm-hmm. I think if done well, it's received constructively. And I, and I think there are some serious considerations for how critical feedback should be transmitted. Um, and, and this goes back to Robert Rosenthal's work in Self-Fulfilling Prophecy and how expectations are transmitted. I think critical feedback can be received constructively if they are offered in a way that demonstrates positive expectation moving forward. So it's sort of like the whole commend, recommend, commend, to say here's, here's what you do well, here's where you could improve, but then finish with here's how I see you being successful in the future. So I think if the recommend gets sandwiched between two positive points of feedback, I think it can be received better. Um, additionally, I, I think the, the mentor or the supervisor has to be very deliberate about offering that feedback in a way that continues to demonstrate positive expectation moving forward, that they expect you're going to do even better as a result of this conversation. How important do you think the relationship is with respect to how the critical feedback is received? Trust is of paramount importance. And again, when you asked that question earlier about... um, what's critical for a great mentoring relationship? And I said, you know, trust and friendship first. Sometimes we get squeamish about the idea of there being sort of a friendly or friendship-type relationship between supervisor and subordinate. But the fact is some of that's just really critical for the establishment of trust, that when trust is present, then I think the mentee or the subordinate can receive both critical and positive feedback in a way that is, is productive. Because when trust isn't present, even when the feedback is positive, it may or may not have a lasting influence. But when trust is present, that feedback has a lasting influence or it has a greater likelihood of having lasting impact and influence. As we come to the last few minutes of our conversation today, I'd like you to comment on how can a person find a mentor? If a person is looking for a mentor, how do you recommend they go about finding one? Mm -hmm. I think the mentee has to engage in talent identification just like the mentor does, right? So if a mentee wants to improve in a certain area, then start looking for talent in that area and then don't be afraid to ask. To ask someone to be your mentor is actually really complimentary. <laughs> that, that is a very kind uh, compliment to say, I've, I've been so impressed by your work in this particular area, and I would love to improve in this area or develop. Would you be willing to spend some time with me uh, so I could learn from you in this area? That's, that's a high compliment uh, to the person who's being asked to be a mentor. <clears throat> but the mentee needs to put some time thought and effort into identifying talent in potential mentors and then using that talent identification to start the conversation. So they have to know who would be right for them. 
Is it just the talent or is it also some sort of chemistry? That's a good question. Chemistry is ideal. Um, However, sometimes, especially in a workplace environment for a new employee, sometimes they don't know who they are going to have chemistry with. Uh, So sometimes they will just need to solely rely on talent identification to start. And then the hope is that you seek out multiple mentors, recognizing that some may be a very short-term mentorship, a very short-term learning opportunity that may look even more like coaching than mentoring. But there will likely then be others that maybe the relationship started through talent identification, but then through the relationship building process, they do gain trust and it it emerges into much more of a mentoring relationship. So I I think a mentee shouldn't put all their mentor eggs in one basket, but seek multiple mentors in different areas where they'd like to develop themselves uh, with the intention that a few of them will then emerge as long-term mentors. I've read in many cases that it's more difficult for a woman to find a mentor in a business situation. Do you think the advice of finding a mentor changes whether you're male or female? I think women should not feel as though their only opportunities for mentors are other women. Um, I, I, I think there are plenty of great things to be learned even across gender. So if, if, a, if a female feels as though, ah, I just, there aren't a lot of women in upper levels of leadership whom I'd like to serve as a mentor, I, I don't want that female employee to feel like, well, then, then their work stops um, in finding a mentor. Uh, but rather, you know, don't be afraid to have a, a male serving as a mentor or seeking mentors even outside of your workplace. Uh, that, okay, if you feel like in your particular industry you're not seeing a lot of females who can serve as mentors, even going outside of their respective industries in order to seek mentors, that's okay too uh, because lots of times what they learn can be translated uh, into their respective industries. All right. On that note of wisdom, we're going to wrap up our conversation for today. I want to thank you. It's been a very valuable conversation and Uh, Dr. Lindsay Hastings, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us this week for Mentoring with Larry Sternberg. Please join Larry again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, for another edition of the program on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.